As we come now before God's word, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 8. And before we read there, would you please pray with me? Our God, would you guide us now by your spirit? Would you incline our hearts to you? Cause us to lean in your direction now so that we would not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds by your grace. We ask your help now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Hebrews in chapter 8. I want to read here... um, beginning in verse 6 through the end of the chapter. So Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of God. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it's because we've read this exact same section last week. This morning, We want to focus on a a different aspect of this. I want to focus our attention here mainly on one sentence, or, or I guess it's even in my Bible, a part of a sentence from this whole section. It's in the middle of verse 10. You can look with me if you wish. Here's the sentence. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Now, this sentence is right in the middle of a much longer quotation. You'll remember this is the longest full quotation from the Old Testament printed here in the New Testament. It comes out of the book of Jeremiah. And this quotation is about what we call the New Covenant. 
you'll remember that a covenant is a formal binding agreement between two parties about how they're going to relate to each other. So sometimes that's more like a business deal, but often it's closer to the vows of a marriage. This new covenant here that's being discussed by the author of Hebrews is between the Lord and all of his people. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the purpose of the first covenant. What did the Lord have in mind there? And part of that covenant was that the Lord called his people to obedience. They were to obey him fully. And this was good and wise and fitting of the Lord to do this. And so he wrote the terms of that covenant, which we often call the law. The Lord wrote that uh, etched on a tablet of stone. It's the Ten Commandments, but it's more than that. And then the people agreed to the terms of those covenant. They said, yes, we will obey, but of course we know that they soon disobeyed. And this was not just an accident. This was not just an oops, or I didn't mean to, I, I should have done differently. They broke the covenant and they continued to break the covenant generation after generation. Because of this, the author of Hebrews says, now the first covenant had fault with them. The fault was with the people, he says. So there was stone of the people versus the stone of the tablet. The writing on the tablet of the law was at odds with the writing on the tablet of their hearts. The prophet Jeremiah says it this way kind of poetic, so I like this. Just a single verse, Jeremiah 17, verse 1. He says, the sin of Judah is written with a pin of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. The people have their sin engraved on their hearts, and so the Lord then according to his steadfast love, establishes this new covenant, this new binding formal agreement. This new covenant, we're told here, is a better covenant with better promises. It's ultimately instituted by Jesus. It's an everlasting covenant, so it's, it's the covenant that na believers now live under. And if we listen very carefully to these words in this new covenant, we'll notice here in verse 10 that God's law still remains under the new covenant. His call to obedience to that law is unchanged. He still calls them to obey. So it's not as if God said, well, the people failed to meet the standards of the first covenant, so let's change the standard. That's like saying, well, the first covenant said don't murder, so the new covenant will give them two freebies, and then the third strike, you're out. So two free murders, but then after that, no. We know that that would be silly. God's moral law has always been good and right, and so to change that law would be morally wrong. 
So if the law of God is not new, what then is new about the new covenant? What's new is the placement of the law. What has changed is where God puts the law. He says, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. So he had once etched them on external tablets of stone, but under the new covenant, he is now going to etch them on the internal tablet of the heart so that the law begins to change the heart and make it new instead of the heart trying to change the law. We heard this very thing being talked about earlier uh, during our section of assurance right after our confession of sin. If you miss it, let me read just a few verses from Ezekiel again. Ezekiel chapter 6. I love this verse. Um, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. In other words, the placement of the law, or God's spirit, now within them was going to cause the people to walk in obedience. The placement on the heart would begin to produce a desire to grow in godliness. That the people would want to grow in godly patience. They'd want to grow in godly Boldness. They'd want to grow in godly holiness. They'd want to grow in godly love. All of this is because God's law, he now writes upon their hearts. Now, when the author of Hebrews talks about this, the word for written, that the law is written on their hearts, the word uh, written in Greek, I know if you're groaning because we're doing Greek things, sorry, just too bad. The original language in Greek, uh, you'll recognize it maybe, it's uh, that the law is epigrapho. It's an epigraph on their hearts. In other words, it's an engraving or an inscription, sort of like we have on the building out front, the etching that's over the door. That's an uh, epigrapho. Um, Or an epigraph in literature, if you know it at all, if you know the term at all, that's maybe where you know it. An epigraph in literature is often uh, a phrase or a short quotation that's at the beginning of of a book or a chapter of a book. And if you've never noticed it, it's because a lot of times people just skip over that and don't read it because it doesn't seem like it's part of the book. But if we pause to read the epigraph, this thing that's written at the beginning, it will help us to hone in on parts of the story. Let me show you. Here's an epigraph from a famous book. Behind every great fortune, there is a crime. Do you know the book? Behind every great fortune, there is a crime. The Godfather. There was a book, right? Didn't know that. I haven't read it. Here's another one. 
Lawyers, I suppose, were children once. It's a famous book. You know it? Lawyers, I suppose, were children once is the epigraph before the famous novel To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you're familiar with these books, you can see that a good epigraph cues us in to the main themes of the story so that we won't miss it. So if our lives are like a storybook, the Lord then, under the grace of the new covenant, is writing his law as the epigraph, as the sentence at the very beginning that becomes the driving theme for our lives as Christians that we would begin to love the Lord, that we would begin to love our neighbor and everything that comes with that, that epigraph then changes the whole story. We need the law put internally upon us in a way that changes our hearts. Because as long as the law of God is only written externally, we're going to relate to God's law in one of two ways And both of those are tragic stories. Let me talk about these two ways of dealing with the law. And the hunchback, the hunchback of Notre Dame, sorry, tons of book references. If you're not a book person, well, I don't know what to do about that. Uh, But the hunchback of Notre Dame, there's a Disney movie about this one. Uh, But in the hunchback of Notre Dame, there are two main characters who are brothers, Jihan Frollo and Claude Frollo. If you watch the Disney movie, Well, Gian Frollo gets left out altogether, so I guess you'll miss that. But they're two brothers, and they are polar opposites of each other. And we can see in these two brothers our own tendencies toward one or the other. Gian Frollo is the younger brother, and he's the free spirit of the family, a drifter, a student, he calls himself, a student of life. He's also a wild drinker and a gambler. Live life up. Jihan's attitude toward life is follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Release your impulses. That's Jihan. His older brother, Claude Frollo, Claude is a monsignor a high-level Catholic priest. And he's known in the book for his power and for his piety. He's a holy man. Claude's attitude is follow the law. Don't do what's wrong. Restrain your impulses. So in the book, Victor Hugo, the author, describes these two brothers as having a lake in their hearts. And Jihan's lake is constantly cutting new channels as the water is ju- from the lake is just spilling out all over the place. Claude, however, in his lake of the heart is constantly trying to maintain a dam to hold in the water from his lake. And both of these approaches, Jihan's and Claude's, on their own are toxic. Because 
the lakes of both men are polluted. And the way they deal with those polluted lakes is broken until both of those men uh, die in the end of the story. Spoiler alert, it was written in the 1800s. So. But, so most of us think that life has to be dealt with, our hearts have to be dealt with in one of these two ways, like Jihan or like Claude, but there is a third approach to the polluted lake of the heart, a way that does not end in death. If Jihan is ever releasing the desires of his heart, and Claude is ever restraining the desires of his heart, the third way of the new covenant is to replace the desires of the heart. Not to release the desires, not to restrain them, but to replace them. It's as if God is taking out the pollution from the source, removing it from the lake and replacing the lake with the desires of his good law so that what overflows freely from the lake is good, clean, refreshing water. So we can see the response to these things and how we deal with social things. When it comes to our sexual impulses of any sort, impulses outside of marriage, Jihan would say, go for it. You know, don't be such a prude. Baby, you were born this way. Claude, on the other hand, would, would avert his eyes turn away, but inside Claude would harbor those secret sexual appetites. The third way of the new covenant aims to dig at the root of those things, to renew faithfulness from within. Or, when it comes to, to maybe an unflattering rumor that we've heard about someone, maybe even someone in our church Gian would say, who cares? You could share it. It's not that big a deal. I mean, that person did it, said it, whatever. They're getting what they deserved anyway. Go ahead and blab it all. Claude might keep his mouth shut. But inside, you know he is full of secret judgments and self-righteousness. The third way of the new covenant, then, aims to pull out the root of gossip by looking at our own hearts first and seeking to love our neighbor from within. Or, final one, when it comes to the very hot cultural topic these days of abortion, Jihan might say, my body, my choice you got to do what's good for you. Claude, on the other hand, would shout out, abortion is murder. But he would not care one whit about helping anyone that's wrestling with these things. Because he doesn't really care from within. The third way of the new covenant does aim to protect the unborn 
but at the same time seeks to help women who are scared and struggling. Maybe women who have done these things already and are just loaded with guilt. The third way, because it works from within, seeks not only what is externally true, but internally, and pours out in a flow of love, support, care, and the hope of the gospel. There are too many people who call themselves Christians and only try not to be jihan, but are completely content to be clawed. Those people live in external hypocrisy to try to cover up the iron-carved sin that's upon their hearts. Now, to be clear, it is true that we don't want to give in to external sin, to disobedience to God externally. We don't want to add external sin to our internal heart of sin. But it is also no good to ourselves, and it is no honor to God just to clean up the outside of the cup and leave the inside coated with sludge. Can you imagine drinking out of such a thing? In some ways, that situation may even be worse to have the outside clean but the inside dirty because we can continue to fool ourselves that we're clean and keep on drinking from it. And if we do that, not only do we harm ourselves, we dishonor God. We are being watched by a world that discredits all Christians because we are just concerned with the outside and they see our fakery when we do that. They know that it is not love. One of the greatest gifts from God in the new covenant is not just that God impacts what we do or don't do. It's that God impacts what we desire to do or don't do that God would cause us to love what is good in a way that really changes our story. So to wrap up here, before we end, I want to make three fairly brief final notes about the way that the Lord has put the law on our heart here. I think these three things will encourage us to live in faithful obedience to God under this third way of the new covenant. Here's the first uh, note for us. The law on our, putting the law on our hearts, this is God's work. This is God's work. He says it. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. This is firstly something that the Lord does. He does not say, I will give your law into your mind, and then you put it on your heart. No, I will do this. So if you feel like you cannot change your own desires on your own, you're right. You're right. 
at least in a sense. This is a work that God must do in God's time, according to God's wisdom, as he sees fit, and we trust that he is faithful and just to do that. One of the most impactful verses for me when I was in college became something that I, it was simple enough that I could remember it, and it became something that I prayed for myself then, and I still pray for uh, myself and others sometimes. Now it comes out of the Psalms. It's in um, Psalm 86, verse 11. It's just this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. Some translations write that. Give me an undivided heart to fear your name. And I recognize then and even now that my love for the Lord is not with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That my desires are often splintered in all sorts of wrong ways. And this verse here in the Psalms is not a pledge to fix it. This verse is not a promise to God to do better. It's a plea to God for help. It's a prayer to God that he would do this work in me. Unite my heart, Lord, to fear your name. He is the one who will unite our hearts to to fear him. He's the one that inscribes these things on our hearts to rewrite this story. There's the first, first observation. This is God's work. Here's the second one. This is... Your work. This is your work. Hold on a second. Wait a minute, Nathan. Didn't you just say this was God's work? Yes, it is. That's true. It is all God's work, all of it. So I don't mean that God does his part, so now you got to do yours. That's the way Claude would think. That's just another form of self-righteousness. What I do mean that God's work is to enable us to do this. When I lift my hand, it is my hand that's lifting, but it's his muscle that's doing it in me. It's always by his power and by his mercy, but we're enabled here then to consciously, willfully put effort toward this, pressing his law upon our hearts. We see this called all over the scripture, but especially in the Proverbs. If I can get to it, Proverbs chapter 7, listen for the discussion of the law. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1, I'll read a few verses. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth words. The father here is calling his son to great things. He doesn't say to his child, son, listen, God's got you covered, so no sweat. 
course, we know in some sense that is true, but he says, no, son, listen, I want you to work for this. Put your sweat into this. I want you to pursue this. Give it all of your energy. Do all that you can to write these things on the tablet of your heart. Memorize it. Stick it on note cards in your mirror. Do art decorations of it if you have to, but keep these things as the apple of your eye because if you do not, something else will step in as the apple of your eye. Something else will write itself on the tablet of your heart. This is your work. Finally, third thing. First, this is God's work. Second, this is your work. Lastly, this is unfinished work. This is unfinished work. Some of you, in hearing all of this, may start to feel afraid because you see your own failures if you look at your own heart. If it's really true that the Lord puts his law upon our hearts to give us new desires, what does it mean if I find within myself that I still desire to sin? What does it mean if I still look like Jihan? What does it mean if I still look like Claude? Do I even love God and his law at all? Am I even a Christian? The scripture is clear. A Christian saved by Jesus will still wrestle with the effects of sin in this life. The Lord in Jesus will deal with the guilt of all of your sin, all of it. Deal with the guilt of your sin, but the presence of sin still remains. He'll talk about that in the New Covenant. It's in verse 12, but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. The Christian may even in this life battle the same sin desires over and over and over and over again until his very last breath. And we do pray for the Lord to strengthen us in faith and in obedience. We do pray for the Lord to help us but it's not as if, if we pray harder, that the Lord will just magically fix everything, at least as we see it. The new covenant is yet unfinished. There is part of his pressing his law upon our hearts that is still ahead of us. That's the reason why he says, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them upon their hearts. This is part of of our glorious future. Which means, if you are a believer in Jesus, the Lord's work in you is not done. So don't despair in your sin. So don't let Satan cause you to believe the lies that your failures disqualify you before God. 
So don't give up the fight for obedience that comes from the heart. But instead, Christian, please, trust the promises that of the new covenant are better. Lay down any attitudes toward Jehon or Claude that you have again and keep pressing on by the Lord's grace. The days are coming, he says. The days are coming of the, the new heaven and the new earth. The days of the new covenant are coming where the new covenant will take its full and final effect when the story of the epigraph is all told. And on that day, not only will you not sin, you won't even want to sin. When his law is fully written on your heart that day, and you will love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And finally, be free. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us to feel the good, the great good of this new covenant? that you would press your good law upon our hearts? Would you do that work in us on some level even now? Would you unite our hearts to fear your name and give us an undivided heart to follow your law to the glory of your great name? We ask your help to do this. By the grace of Jesus, we pray. Amen.